Good evening, everyone. This is Shivang, and I am in recording this session. Today, we have with us one of the stalwarts in the field of air and space law, Professor Dr. G. S. Sachdeva. Dr. Sachdeva sir has worked with the Indian Armed Forces with Indian Air Force for more than twenty-six years, and it is such a wonderful occasion that we are recording this podcast on the Indian Air Force Day, and. After that, sir has served as an adjunct professor at Jawaharlal Nehru University, and sir's books and sir's articles have been widely regarded as one of the most prominent scholarly works in the field of aviation and space law. Without further ado, I would like sir to begin his answers by telling us that how has been his journey with the Indian Air Force and how remarkable has been his experiences. Which has eventually turned out to do wonders in aviation and space law research that he has carried out for more than two to three decades. Please, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. I should start my journey when I did my MA from Delhi School of Economics, and after completing that, I joined for PhD at the Indian School of International Studies, which was at Sapru House, New Delhi at that time, which later became. Jawaharlal Nehru University. I started my PhD under Dr. Sobhimal Mukherjee of the World Bank. But in the meanwhile, I got selected for the Air Force and I joined Air Force in 1960. In 1961, May, I was commissioned as pilot officer and I served Indian Air Force for over 25 years. I took my retirement in 1986 in the rank of Wing Commander. After leaving Air Force, I joined HCL as Administrative and Legal Advisor as a Senior Manager. So I worked there for five years and I gained my corporate experience from HCL. After HCL, I worked for five years and I got an opportunity to join the German embassy as legal advisor. I worked there for 17 years, and after about three to four years of my work into the embassy, I was elevated to the status of legal counselor, which is almost comparable to the Joint Secretary of Foreign Office. So having worked for 17 years there, I later, of course, joined the Korean embassy also for a little while. But I left that embassy and started doing what was dear to me. And that was the time in 2009, I started working on my own. And my major love and first passion was space law. Now I'm coming to the question as to how did I reach space law? I completed my PhD from JNU, and since I had the background of the Air Force, it was suggested to me that I take up some air subject. And at that time, the Warsaw Convention, 1929, yes, on air liability was under turmoil. There were a lot of deficiencies in this sort of a thing which had come up due to computerization, due to delays being very often and for various other reasons. And the time was right to look at the Warsaw Convention for improvement. So I started my work on the Warsaw Convention in 1977 when I joined JNU 
as MPhil student. My MPhil was a dissertation on simple one issue. What is the definition of international carriage under the Warsaw Convention? So my uh, dissertation of about 100 pages only discussed this aspect. What is the definition? Later on, for my PhD thesis, I took on uh, Warsaw Convention and the law of carriage by year and completed my PhD in 1984. In fact, I took a little longer time because in between, while still being in the Air Force, I was posted to Thieskur. And I could not really continue with my research work and all. Once I came back again to Delhi and Chandigarh, I completed this. And in 84, I was awarded my PhD. Now, after having done work on this, my first article on air law appeared in the Indian Journal of International Law in 1981. And this was on the definition of international carriage. This was followed by another article in 1982, which talked of sovereignty in the air. And while I discuss sovereignty in the air, my interest got extended to after beyond air, what's there? And that is how I came to space law. That is how I came to space law. In fact, my interest in space law got manifest my first monograph on space tourism industry of the 21st century, which was published by a foundation for sustainable aviation, a foundation for aviation and sustainable tourism. So after having done that, I kept on propagating or kept on researching on the subject. And I wrote a couple of articles on space tourism which were later published in Indian Journal of International Law and otherwise. Now, my true interest flowered when I really left all the work, completely retired from my embassy job also, and took on my own autonomous independent research, unfunded. Okay. So when I started doing it, my first book came in, uh, not the first book, by this happened to be first book, monograph, third book, uh, third book. And this was uh, <laughs> published as Outer Space, Strategic and Legal Challenges. In this strategic, I've discussed the warfare. And in fact, there is one chapter in that which I've written as Space Minds. And this particular chapter has been noticed by NASA as they have taken idea from this and they have developed a security system for their own space assets. While work, continuing my work on space law and trying to work on my interest, my next book came, Out of Space, Law, Policy and Governments. This was published in 2013. This was followed by my Next book in 2015, that was uh, on air law, and that came as a booklet because earlier I had done a project for DRDO on the use of uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. 
which I later developed into a book called Drone Operations, A Jurist Law. So I again came back to my original passion, space law. And in 2019, my book was issued, Space Commercialization, Challenges, Prospects, Challenges, and Way Forward, in which I really made a lot of suggestions as to how we can proceed despite difficulties, despite challenges. Then, due to COVID, when research was difficult and going out and yes, reference to the libraries, I took a sabbatical and wrote my book on uh, sociology. That was sacred and profane, unusual customs and strange rituals. This book was published in 2019. 2019. After that, again, when the COVID was over, I started with my research and my book has been published recently, Crimes in Outer Space. Crimes in Outer Space, Perspectives in Law and Justice. Perspectives in Law and Justice. This is, uh, many would think that where are the crimes? Yes, sir. But crimes have occurred in outer space. Whether we've been able to find the accused or the culprit, that is immaterial. But crimes have occurred in different forms. At least to mention two crimes. One is there is a lady astronaut who is suspected, who is suspected to have created a hole into the ISS as a result of which the pressure went down and it had to be found out when it was reported by the ground control. Now it is believed or at least has been alleged by the Russian side that she was mentally upset and a psychic case and all that. This lady is American astronaut was at that time located in uh, ISS and the whole was done in the Russian uh, area, Russian quarters of the ISS. Now Russians have made a lot of allegations and more so because Americans did not permit them to do inspection of various other uh, sites which could have led to a lot more evidence. The case is still not dead and there is possibility of criminal uh, proceedings. Another case which I'll call as crime against humanity, we have uh, in the OST that we are not to carry any pollutants to outer space, nor bring any, and everything which goes or comes back should be sanitized. One case is where Elon Musk sent his Tesla car into outer space for testing, and the car was not sanitized up to the standards where it should have been done. And it's still in outer space somewhere, so may crash any time, whatever be. Second is that Israel tried to conduct an experiment which is called Bersheet. Bersheet. Now, in this experiment, Bersheet, they sent some sort of microorganisms, which are called tardigrades. And these are very hardy organisms. And it's believed that they can stay in dry climate and survive also, and with the expected age of 500 years, with the expected age of five. Now, they did the experiment, but unfortunately, 
that particular module which was supposed to land on the moon crashed. With the result, it's believed that all the tardigrades or that microorganisms have spread on the moon. What will be the impact? We don't know. And now let me introduce my next book, which is coming, The Philosophy of Space Policy, with a case study of India, with the case study of India. That book will have about 15 chapters. The first eight chapters would talk about the philosophy of space policy, and the last seven chapters will give the case study of India, giving all what India has done, what can India do, and what should be India's space policy. And the last chapter will be a critique on the Indian space policy 2023. If all goes well, this book should be out in 2024, because about 80% of the writing work is over. And if I can submit this by December, so next year, 2024, this book should come out. Now, this is, after that, I've got lots of plans, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that because it's up to God to give me how much life it gives. As on today, I'm 86. All right, sir. Well, firstly, we'd like to uh, congratulate you for such big achievements because all of this work, especially your work on space tourism and space commercialization, all these aspects have been discussed more so as Shivan mentioned earlier as a prophecy rather than something. So. Taking forward with the first question, sir, we'd like to know what has changed since you first researched about space tourism? The fact that obviously it has started taking place right now, but what are the legal implications in your, that you have been able to ramify and tell, oh, this is something that has changed and this is something that requires immediate. Frankly, when I started my research in 2008, um, we didn't have much material in India, but nevertheless, Whatever I could get, I, in my books and uh, writings, even a lot of articles and uh, sort of uh, chapters published in other books also. There are over uh, 30 chapters published in other books. What I found was that space is regulated area, yes, outer space treaty, but it's not a governed area. There is no governance there. Partly, we have created it because we said there is no sovereignty there. So that means in outer space, we have regulations, but we can't see the implementation. Yes. There is no inspection. There are no checks. And there is no governance. Today, it's okay. But say, go 10, 10 years ahead when there may be some sort of a space ports existing on outer space, celestial bodies, and people going as tourists and coming back, it should not be enough that we have a regulation. We need to have some sort of an organization which manages outer space. And my earliest suggestion was, my earliest suggestion was that let's create what we can call as a world space authority. World space authority. But then I myself thought it will be a very subaltern, small authority and may not have enough of... Uh, so then I suggested, let's create an organ of the United Nations 
called World Space Organization. That was my next suggestion. All this what I'm talking is contained as suggestions in my books. Yes. And lately, in my book on crimes in outer space, suggested further that under the United Nations, we had what we called as a trusteeship council earlier. Yes, sir. The trusteeship council had the job of developing small countries which had just got freedom yes. as colonies. And they've done a good work. And those countries have developed and flown independent. My suggestion is, why not we create a trusteeship council for outer space? It's a trust, common heritage, province of mankind. And we keep that as a trusteeship council, considering all these legal aspects and the crux of what we have. So my recommendation is that outer space is a regulated area. It needs to be governed. If at all, we have to do, make full utilization of outer space, either as space tourism or for commercialization or natural resources, celestial resources. Yes. I think just to go through is that uh, we need to have some sort of a governing body. And my suggestion is to revive and resuscitate trusteeship council which should govern so that, say hypothetically, since nobody can own land there, but the leases can be granted for excavation of natural resources. And there should be a governing body like trusteeship council, which should govern that area. Secondly, we might also need some sort of a authority or an organization for control, mitigation, and remediation of space debris. And this could be one. Right. Next question. Yes, sir. sir. Taking forward on the aspect, especially on your book, where you said that crimes that take place in outer space, and you have written papers on it as well that have been published in many reputed journals. One thing that I found out after reading one of it was that there is a very big jurisdictional tussle when it comes to solving such matters. And... If we can have your say on that, how such an issue on jurisdictional tussle can be handled, as you have given the examples of Russia versus US in terms of that whole Israel and even Elon Musk, who's very big in the outer space exploration these days. So, what are the jurisdictional tussles and how do you think they can be handled by having the real body? It is true that there will be jurisdiction tussles because different nationalities will be going in spacecraft and various other. Uh, as tourists and all that. And not only tourists, eventually, I think in about, if I visualize in about another three decades, we may have space uh, habitations also. There would be a, something like a moon village or a Mars colony, because these ideas have been already visualized, visualized. And particularly, I've mentioned of these in my space commercialization book. Now, that being the situation where space would get, there would be inhabited, perhaps. Inhabited. In fact, even as on today, there is public interest of going into outer space on one-way journey. One way. Some polls have really said that, that people are willing to go, so long as you have facilities to live there, people are willing to go on a one-way journey. And uh, with this sort of a future happening, future happening. We need to have an organization 
if you cannot establish sovereignty on any part of it, at least some sort of a lease can be given where you can develop a spaceport or a lease of place where you can develop a small moon village or on the Mars colony, whatever that be. I mean, these are just the thoughts. Why I talk of the moon villages? Because there is one Dr. Warner from NASA. He has already made a blueprint of that with complete details as to how the living would be. But the point at issue would be the crimes would occur. The crimes would occur in outer space because people will be living in ergonomically very small place, cramped areas, where there will not be much of a privacy. Right, sir. Since privacy will be low, mindsets are different, acceptances are different, disputes would come in. And once the disputes come in, they would develop it to conflicts also. And those conflicts would automatically become crimes, if at all accentuated and not sorted out. So with this sort of a thing, crimes in outer space is going to happen. And earlier I had given some examples of uh, crimes committed by states and uh, people and all that. These are crimes by individuals. Now the point comes, how do we get the jurisdiction? International law has... Uh, a very developed law of jurisdiction. Yes. Rather than going into that, I come into one as to how do we solve this problem? Yes. How do we solve this problem? Yes. In fact, a similar problem was there when hijacking started with <coughs> hijacking started with aviation. There was a treaty, the Hague Treaty there. The Hague Convention, which applied to aviation, it stated Extradition is a bilateral issue. And it said that, okay, where there is a person is apprehended and there is no bilateral agreement on extradition, there, this particular treaty will be deemed as universal extradition treaty. And under this particular treaty, extradition can be arranged where there is no bilateral agreement. Yes, sir. Where there is no bilateral. We could have something similar which could say two points. One is, wherever a culprit is found, he should be tried there itself. He should only be extradited if at all the evidence is not available or for any reason which is purely legal. Yes. And if at all it's extradited, it should be made incumbent and duty-bound that wherever he is, he has to be tried for the crime which is committed. So this would help out Jurisdiction problem would be yeah. sorted out. The jurisdiction becomes universal. Wherever found to be tried, and if at all not tried there, any country which is aggrieved or where the victim is, they can ask for extradition. And if no bilateral agreement, extradition under the new treaty should be possible. Sure. So, do you think there should be a specific forum like the ICC or maybe the ICJ or a new court in all in all to be set up? Yes, I have suggested that. Well, suggested a International Court of Space Crimes. And there is a proper chapter on this in my book. There's a proper chapter on that. And that's where I've said that it could be either a bench of the ICJ or it could be a separate sort of a court for space crimes. And 
Now, the problem comes up when a crime is to be tried at that high level, who would pay for it? Normally, the states pay that. I have suggested in that, that if at all the victim party wants to get the trial done and they are willing to pay, it should be paid. Otherwise, states should subsidize or fund such sort of a crime because the national the national has a right, the national has a right of protection from the state. So before we conclude, I would just like to ask your quick comment on the India's space policy, the document that has been released right now. And in fact, we have, we can see from the recent example that India is spearheading in the space race. We see the example of Chandrayaan-3, which was one of the most lowly budget project which India was able to achieve, which other countries in the world were not able to. So, sir, in terms of the regulatory gaps or in terms of the legal gaps, what do you think that India should take a step ahead in terms of making sure that such a policy is crafted wherein all, all those things are catered to and we have a very good space legislation that can cater to all the needs, spearheading space governments and diplomacy? Thank you very much. Very good question. And not only very good question, it's a very topical sort of a thing. Let me first say, Chandrayaan, we have achieved what many countries could not. I use the word could not because uh, the Russian lunar Luna, Luna, it crashed. They couldn't do that. Americans wanted this South Pole area. They could not land. They could not land. But this particular area is very attractive because there is believed to be water and ice available there. That is why this area. And this area remains in the dark for nearly 15 year, days. And 15 days of light only is there. In fact, India achieved this. It's really accident on the third attempt because earlier attempts were also made. But what exactly is that it's not that entire Vikram or entire Pragyan and all that in Indian. We have had help from other countries. But that help has been so minor that India can claim, yes, we did it. But there has been help from the United States and various other countries. But that should not in any way detract from the prestige of India because we have achieved it. Right. Now coming to policy. On any major and important issue, government is required to make a policy so that its stand, stance, and nuance is known well. Is known well. Uh, India has not done this sort of a thing for nearly 50 years, and ISRO has been doing it on their own with minor, uh, little guidance here and there or uh, instructions here and there. But lately, the interest has developed to have a policy and something like a very uh, skeletal draft policy came out in uh, 2020. And now, suddenly, the government has issued space policy or called the Indian Space Policy 2023. To sum up, this policy is good in parts. It tries to bring up 
lot of private enterprise interest and uh, encourages startups. But my personal feeling is that it's not an industry where today you start developing and tomorrow you'll get the results. This is one industry or it's a one activity, as you can call it, which has got long gestation period. And secondly, startups are coming up with a lot of ideas. After who tries to assess whether the idea is worth it or what exactly will be the benefit of that particular thing? That authorization is important. And that authorization can be called euphemistically as licensing of space activity, licensing of space activity. Now, the present policy, as I said, from the economics angle is okay. Second point they've said is, okay, transfer of technology. We can say that transfer of technology, but transfer of technology has got two aspects. One is transfer and its IPR. And second aspect is whether the transferee has the capacity to absorb it. You can give the technology, but they should have the capacity to absorb that also. And not only absorb, make use of it. That is where the doubt comes up. Because if you take uh, United States or UK or Japan for that matter, or even wherever they have a private enterprise come up, it has not been overnight. Private enterprises come up over years. If watching Galactic today, or call it the SpaceX and all that, they have invested a colossal amount of money into their research and all that. They're sort of a, what they're calling now their rocket Saturn and Falcon and all that. They've not been developed overnight. But we don't have the vision. We don't have the vision. And that particular vision is not easy. We have got to sow that into our economy. We, we have to sow in order to reap Musk and reap Branson and uh, various other people who have uh, come on to that. And that, that part we are not doing. And our, we, we have people who have the money, but their vision and excitement towards space is not much. You have um, Tatas, you have Birlas, you have Mbani, you have Adani and uh, various other people. But their vision of profit-making in this is not there. And they, they don't have the patience. Why only that? The Indian business doesn't have the patience to invest in long gestation. They don't have to. Even um, take Tata, the Jaguar case, car. It was a running business they took. They haven't created anything. So with that sort of a situation, space policy has come about, but it is not holistic, it's not comprehensive. So it's only in parts. Now what we need is a policy which should be covering all aspects of space business and industry. Then we need to, whether that particular policy complies with the treaties. Thirdly, it should be whether it, it is uh, compatible and harmonious with the Constitution of India and the other laws. You can't create something 
or policy like this and say, okay, forget everything else. And lastly, a policy must have a governance which is very objective. You, you can't have a policy where there is a lot of discretion. Okay, in space we'll decide how much liability to be uh, attached to the, say, private enterprise and how much would be paid. After liability, whatever that be, it's an international liability and has to be paid. And it's normally paid out of the Consolidated Fund of India. So after it's it's a hard-earned money of people yes. which comes as taxes and gets put into that. Right. So we need a lot more thought process before we can come. And one more point, which is with licensing, that there is need for continuing supervision. This is mentioned. And this continuing supervision should come in the sense that there should be what we call as inspection while in manufacture and some sort of an organization which does checks on space worthiness of the object. Space worthiness. Is it worthy to go there? If it goes, would it become a rogue satellite? With that sort of a situation, one has to be very careful as to what goes outside, what is licensed, and that has to be continuously monitored also once it goes into space. You know, recently, there was a case of uh, American satellite, which after completion of mission, was supposed to have been either brought back or taken to the graveyard. And they couldn't do that. They have been fined, exact amount, I may not be, but something like uh, $100,000 million or something like this. The fact is, it's not the amount which matters. The fact is, that they have a policy and they have a law where the defaulter has been punished. That's where it is. Would we do that in India? Would we? Would the policy do that? Or do we need a law? And that is where a policy doesn't have the crutches. Thanks, sir. Thanks, sir. It doesn't have the crutches to stand on its own where it's got the support of a statute. That is where policy is faulty. And what policy we need now, I think we need a lot of careful thought. But if it can wait, my book will be there next year. Well, personally, we're willing to read that book. And we hope, sir, all, all the readers which are interested in learning about the space policy read that. And we highly recommend everyone. In fact, it is the article which has appeared in your journal. Yes, sir. I think it's fairly expressive of all what is really faulty in that and where we need to bring in as practical because this is uh, in relation to the Indian situation right? and not as a philosophy. Indian situation, you can have it from there. It's so now that we move to the end of the session and we are very thankful for the insights that you shared, especially pertaining to space law. And one thing for me personally, it was very clear that the knowledge of law in your head is accompanied with the knowledge of economics because throughout every answer I could sense that how a feasibility analysis of the law and every activity that has been undertaken and has been, has been done by you. So we are very grateful that you have come to our college for this conference and we certainly hope that you enjoyed your time and you met when you were able to deliver your speeches. We look forward to having you sometime again, sir. And we thank you a lot. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you thank very you much. I'm grateful that you've given me this opportunity to express myself 
what all is put into my brain. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, certainly, any opportunity, I'll be glad to come here and anywhere. Pleasure is all so ours. So long as it's space law. Yes, pleasure is all ours, sir. And it's very, we are very intrigued by what you're going to offer, and especially that we both personally are also going to start a project on space law under our center. Yes. So we know what we have to begin, and a lot of it we could learn in this 30 minutes. So we are very grateful. You're a better person to obtain yeah. inspiration from, sir. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, good luck, and God bless you for your new project. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much.